This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning, we're going to talk about the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes Reauthorization Act. And it's a bill that uh, expands the responsibilities of the Department of Justice and the FBI to investigate and prosecute civil rights statute violations that occurred before 1980 and resulted in a death. So our guest to help us walk us through this and uh, help us be better informed about what's going on is Professor Richard Sinna. I'm sorry, Professor Hans Sinna. Good morning, Professor Gerson. Good morning, Liz. And it really is such a privilege to have Hans on the show today. Uh, he is the director of our uh, clinical externship program. And you know, I, I laugh sometimes because people will say to me, you need to get real lawyers on the show. Well, Hans has extensive experience in the criminal justice system. He's been both a prosecutor and a public defender and also uh, has done uh, private criminal defense work. Um, when he was a prosecutor, he was a sex crime screener, a gang prosecutor uh, in the public uh, defender's office. He did capital crimes. And so uh, he has great experience in this area. But I was talking to him one day, and he also has done uh, – tremendous amount of research on the Emmett Till case and uh, has a lot to talk about on that case. So it's great to have him on. Thanks Thank for you, being Richard. here. Thank you. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. So uh, go ahead. Let's, before we, let's break down the title for this big act so that everybody can get on the same page. Now, I think most people know about the Emmett Till case. Uh, give us a a uh, three-sentence reminder and uh, uh, how that has brought us into the uh, 21st or the later 20th century. Right. So the Emmett Till case um, well, involved um, Emmett Till, was a, a young teenager from Chicago. He came down in 1955 to visit his uncle in Tallahatchie County, and he was then kidnapped and murdered um, by um, two gentlemen from, from Mississippi. And they um, uh, they were tried, and there was a, a real prosecution. It wasn't a sham prosecution. The DA uh, tried. In fact, the governor appointed a special prosecutor to help him, and the judge was a fair judge. And they were tried in, in Sumner um, in 1955, and it was a not guilty verdict. And after the verdict, the two um, defendants, uh, Mr. Milo and Mr. Bryant, um, readily admitted to having uh, both kidnapped Emmett Till and murdered him in a very brutal way. Uh, in essence, it was a lynching. He was um, um, supposedly had um, uh, touched a hand of one of the defendant's wives in a store in Money, Mississippi. Um, so that became part of our, um, it was a very big trial. Um, people said that, that that trial and the Charles Lindbergh trial were the most 
watched and broadcast trials of, of our century up until the O.J. Simpson case. Um, and then because the two defendants so readily admitted, almost gleefully, that they had committed a crime after they were acquitted, it's been seen as a miscarriage of justice. And that kind of helped ignite um, uh, the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks speaks about this, that that, that was one thing that uh, got her attention, so to speak. Um, and uh, after that, um, I mean, the, the, the society evolved, and about 10 years ago, uh, there was a thinking, a rethinking to look at uh, the lynchings uh, victims as true law enforcement victims, people who never had justice uh, for them or for their families. And at one point, the Tuskegee Institute counted, I think, about 4,000 verified lynchings. So in 2007, uh, Congress passed what's called the Emmett Till Civil Rights Act, um, which authorized and actually funded um, uh, a, a, a DOJ and FBI to help reinvestigate, to look at civil rights cases, uh, civil rights violations resulting in death. It, it had a sunset provision, meaning that would expire in 2017. So in 2016, they passed the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes Reauthorization Act of 2016, which again reauthorized the FBI and the DOJ to look at these old civil rights cases, in essence murder cases, but federal, federal charge with civil rights uh, violations resulting in death. And that's where we stand now. There's been a lot of um, uh, investigations. Uh, each year, DOJ uh, submits a report to Congress listing what they've been doing. And in the, I think it was a 2016 and 2015 report, they had uh, 126 identified lynch victims. Uh, I looked at that list and and, and tellingly, 50 were actually from, from, from our state, Mississippi. So they've had some success. Um, there have been some state prosecutions with assistance from the federal authorities. The 6 and 3 church bombing in, in Alabama resulted in convictions. Um, the Philadelphia, the, the three civil rights um, uh, workers in Philadelphia, uh, Shaney Goodman and, and uh, Schwerner back in 1964, um, uh, also resulted in a state prosecution conviction with assistance of, uh, of the federal uh, authorities. Well, so it, there's a lot going on, and the act is still going on. The, the main case, the name case of the act, um, is still technically an open investigation. Um, there's some uh, thought that there might be uh, possibly one additional person that can be charged. I assume they're still looking at that from the Emmett Till case point of view. Well, it's refreshing to hear that when Congress mandates something must be done, that it actually is getting done and that people can go and look up reports to see how far they've, what they've accomplished. Right. And not only that, but it's actually a funded. So it's, a, it's not a non-funded mandate. They actually allocated money to, uh, to their charge. And I think this is a bipartisan uh, effort by, uh, by Congress to, to, to rectify a wrong that, that, or many wrongs that happened in the past, um, and to uh, to try to rectify that, and and only not only when when we meaning the the, the government can bring successful prosecutions, but it also uh, helps the victims' families who have never had an official recognitions of their family members who were uh, and many times brutally murdered and, and uh, in, in horrible ways. Um, that there was a crime that occurred. So even though there may not be prosecution in all these cases, uh, DOJ and FBI is in contact with the families, which in and of itself is a, a very uh, important aspect for those families. Well, now that uh, Professor 
um, Hans Sinha has got us all caught up on the same page about our topic today. We'd love for anyone listening to call in if they have a question. Our number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. I also have our email up. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. I'm the only one who sees the emails. I can read your name or not read your name as you send it in. We'd love for you to be a part of this conversation. So, uh, Professor Sinha, when you, you mentioned victims' families, how are cases selected? How are they brought to the attention of the DOJ, the Department of Justice, and the FBI? Um, well, I, I don't know specifically how they come about. But I guess when, when it first was authorized, the first Civil Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, DOJ engaged in a fairly strong outreach, uh, meaning using media, getting the information out there that this is now something we're looking at. Uh, and presumably there was people then reach out to the FBI or local law enforcement who then forwarded to the FBI and or directly to DOJ. Um, so that's one way there was um, uh, identifiable cases to look at. But also I think um, we all know of, of uh, historically of, of lynchings that have taken place in our communities. Um, yeah, they're, for they're not a secret, especially right, exactly. if you go to our uh, new museums uh, in Jackson, uh, the Civil Rights Museum and the Mississippi uh, Museum of History, uh, I think there are some very powerful monuments there. And I think that might have been one of the frustrating things. That is something that we all known about, but for somehow, for whatever reason, societally, we were not looking at them as law enforcement issues when they really were murders. They were just murders under different circumstances. There's also right now, for example, there's uh, uh, just happenstance uh, two days from now in Birmingham, uh, Alabama, the Equal Justice Initiative is opening um, what's titled the Legacy Museum and National Memorial for Peace and Initiative and Justice, but it's really a lynching muse- museum, a museum dedicated to lynching victims, among other things. Um, and there's local movements. For example, we have, uh, I believe, six identifiable lynching uh, lynchings from Lafayette County, and we're trying to get a memorial marking, uh, uh, remembering those people who were lynched. So there's a lot of things going on right now in terms of trying to rectify uh, historical wrongs. Well, and it's it's fabulous that uh, they've increased the scope on the act has increased the scope in the uh, discussion of this. Um, so we're going to go take a break now. But when we come back from the break, we're going to continue our discussion with Professor Hans Sinha and Professor Richard Gershon and Oxford. Um, about this uh, Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes Reauthorization Act and getting justice for uh, some of the, the deaths that have occurred. You, if, you have a phone call, if you have a question, give us a phone call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And you can send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. We realize that not everybody has a chance to listen to our whole show live. So if you miss any of this program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Professor Hans Sinha. And this morning, we're talking about a new a uh, relatively new, a reauthorization of an act of Congress that opens up um, uh, investigations of deaths uh, from civil uh, civil rights perspective that have gone unprosecuted. So uh, if you have a question, give us a call. Our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-672. 7464 and I've just got to hand it to Professor Gershon. Uh, he's the connected guy. He's the man who knows the men uh, and the ladies and the gals uh, that uh, do such interesting work, uh, humanitarian work and public service work. Well, you know, it's a, it is a pleasure. I have great colleagues and I, I'm humbled every day by working with them and also the members of the bar that we've had on this show as well. Just uh, tremendous people and I, I hope uh, one of the things that that I want from this show is for people to understand just how much the legal profession does for society. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people think of us as as something else, maybe uh, from time to time. But lawyers protect rights, and lawyers also uh, help people who can't afford legal services at a high level. We just uh, honored Debbie Bell yesterday uh, for her work with our pro bono initiative here, and the number of hours that our students have dedicated to helping people. Uh, at no charge. And so anyway, I'm, I'm happy to work with Hans and people like him. Well, uh, team uh, in legal terms, we have a full set of phone calls. So our first call, we're going to go to Florence. Roger's been holding. Uh, thanks for listening to in legal terms, Roger. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for all of you for giving your time to it. I'm wondering if there's any impediment in the law, either present or the, or the new law, for any impediment to using, subpoenaing, or getting the records of the sovereign, Sovereignty Commission uh, in Mississippi, which I think might well lead to some uh, information that would be useful in prosecuting some of these old, old cases. Uh, I'm just going to hang up and listen to that because I have no further comment. But I think that if that hasn't been explored, then that would really be a sad limitation on the uh, on the efforts of prosecutors. Thank you. Thanks, Roger, for contributing that to our, our conversation. Uh, well, what about that, uh, Professor Sinha? Well, I don't think there's anything um, impeding anyone getting access to the Sovereignty Commission. It's my understanding that is public record at this point and can be accessed by anyone. Whether it's online, I don't know, but I think they are readily accessible. And in terms of prosecution, that came up in um, uh, the case involving um, uh, Mr. Della Beckwith, who, who killed Medgar Evers, that was part of the reason that was being able to be retried 
after, what, 26 years, was tried again in the 90s, um, and initially he was acquitted, or it was two, two mistrials uh, right after in, in the 60s when he committed a crime. And part of the reason um, uh, the Fifth Amendment due process alleged violation was deemed not to be um, prevent a new, new trial um, of Mr. Delabecus was because of material that was found in the Sarmatic Commission papers. So, so I do believe they are readily available um, to anyone, I believe, is public record at this point. And, and, and um, the caller, Roger, is correct that uh, there may be a, a, a treasure trove of information in those, uh, those material. Well, Professor Sinha and also Professor Gershon, speak to some of the problems of trying a case or investigating a case uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years after it occurred. Well, I think with, with any old case, uh, even a regular old case that may be two, three years old from a prosecution point of view, um, if you haven't gone out right away and taken statements from witnesses and collected evidence right away, the older a case gets, uh, and in regular terms, you know, six months, a year, two years, three years, uh, it, it's hard. Uh, people forget things. Uh, 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 memories tend to fade and shift. Evidence tends to, to disappear or, or, or be unusable in trial. So from a regular prosecution, it's difficult for an older case. And then throw in, we're talking now 30, 40 years, um, not only our witnesses uh, tend to forget, but they, they, they pass away as well. So to reinvestigate a case that's 30, 40 years old is very difficult just from an uh, evidentiary point of view. And I think in the Emmett Till case, that's what's going on now. There, there's a possible uh, subject that could be, re, uh, could be tried possibly and to get the evidence together to present that um, is difficult. And, and add in a layer from a prosecutor's point of view, um, uh, you cannot bring charges um, unless it meets a certain burden. And uh, technically it's beyond a, reason, beyond a probable cause. Um, I tend to look beyond a reasonable doubt for I would bring charges against someone, meaning can I win at a trial? So there might be an instance where you have evidence in front of you, but you know you cannot bring a successful prosecution. At that point, you, you likely will not be able to bring the charges. So, so yeah, so um, time uh, always works against uh, bringing a successful prosecution. All right, we still have full lines. So next I'm going to go to Tyler Town. Michael, thank you for being a part of our conversation this morning. Go ahead. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, my question is, under the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes Reauthorization Act, um, under this act, can those who were complicit uh, back in the day, because, you know, you still have uh, a good amount of people who – uh, help participate in these crimes back then, still living today. They might be elderly people. Under this act, these these people who knew about it or maybe helped cover it up, who was maybe in the justice system as well, maybe the attorneys or the, or the sheriff's office, uh, will these people also uh, be held accountable? And if so, what type of actions could be taken against these people who are complicit or knew or cover up these crimes? And that's all that was. Thanks. Yes, I mean, uh, yes, they, they could be. Um, I mean, they could be treated um, as, as anyone where there's conspiracy of a crime or, or actually direct participation. Uh, the cover-up part by law enforcement, which, which did occur um, back then, uh, may be harder to prove uh, both back then immediately after it occurred 
but also now more than 50 or 30, 40, 50 years later. But technically, if someone was part of a crime and then participated in terms of a conspiracy covering up, that would be a, a violation. Now, realistically, um, those are so hard to bring forth in terms of prosecution and um, societally from from uh, a resource issue, it is more likely that people who were directly involved in the murder and or lynching are the ones that are going to be the focus of investigation. But, but, but yes, um, people who, who, who colluded, so to speak, in terms of law enforcement to prevent uh, and hide, to prevent the, um, the, the uh, prosecution and hide the crimes could, could also be prosecuted. I haven't seen that happen either on the local level or under the federal level. And um, I, I think it's doubtful they will focus their prosecution efforts on those people. And Hans, we talked a little bit about during the break. I mean, it, it doesn't appear that there's any uh, way to for the families of uh, victims to recover civil damages uh, from some of these perpetrators. This is all based. This is a, a criminal investigation. It sounds like right. I mean, the, the, the congressional acts are, are strictly criminal, uh, criminal based. Uh, I mean, theoretically, uh, a family of a lynching victim could bring uh, a civil suit, but you're going to run into uh, statute limitations at, at that case pretty quickly. All right. This is a fascinating conversation we've got going on today. The talking about uh, opening up some of the old civil rights. Uh, death, unsolved death cases. So next we're going to go to in Jackson. We've got Charles on the line. Charles, thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. Uh, thank you. A quick comment about the sovereignty files. They are available online. I've been out and looked at them. Um, my question uh, comes out of the fact that I was one of the physicians who participated in a, a public event called Civil Rides that connected the um, National Civil Rights Museum to the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum recently. We learned a lot about the civil rights figures uh, along the way, Emmett Till being one of them, and it moved me to go out and download what I could find uh, on the Internet. And one of them is the 2006 reexamination FBI report uh, on the case. And my question has to do with the fact that um, it was published in 2006, and it is heavily redacted. Um, as a physician, I was interested in the autopsy results in particular, and they are entirely redacted. And I wondered if the, if the guest could comment on why he thinks this uh, FBI report, which is labeled law enforcement sensitive, might have been so heavily redacted. Uh, yes, uh, I think that is, uh, and, and you kind of hit the nail on the head here. Um, so so uh, the FBI report, including a transcript from the 1955 trial, is uh, online available. The FBI made that available, which is a, a good thing and a step forward. Uh, however, it is, as as the caller noted, heavily redacted. And um, there's a reason for that is that it is technically still an ongoing investigation. Um, and I believe it's based out of um, the, the Northern District of Mississippi U.S. Attorney's Office here in Oxford is, is still actively looking at the case, is my understanding. Um, so once it becomes a closed file, if and when that occurs, then uh, the FBI will theoretically at least make a reexamination of the material they're going to make public. And at that point, a lot of those redactions will be um, removed. However, there's still many exceptions, this goes to the Public Records Act, uh, many exceptions to the Public Records Act, and, and one is an ongoing investigation which enables them to redact a lot of material from reports that are released. 
But even after an ongoing investigation has been closed, there are some uh, exceptions to Public Records Request uh, Act, which involves uh, live witnesses who provide information. Uh, so even though, if and when the case is officially closed, the next report that's going to be made available will likely have some redactions uh, still in it for, for living witnesses who provided support to the FBI investigation. In terms of the autopsy report, I've always wondered that myself, why that is so heavily redacted. Uh, the only thing I can speak about is that it's still an ongoing federal investigation. Um, but um, uh, I have the same question caller did, did in terms of why the autopsy report would be so heavily redacted. This is a very fascinating uh conversation we're having today uh we're going to take our break so uh shelter sue rick charles please hang on we appreciate uh, your patience uh this is just very interesting and uh timely and i think shows growth uh in our country and in our state that uh we find that this is so important that we're going back uh 50 60 70 years to right wrongs um, our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You are listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert in Oxford at the Ole Miss School of Law, and he's joined, we're joined today by our guest, Professor Hans Senha. This morning, we're talking about reopening some of the civil rights uh, death occurrences, and they're being investigated by the uh, Department of Justice, uh, DOG, and the FBI to uh, prosecute civil rights statutes. Uh, Professor Gershon, it's, I, I hope it's of interest to your students that some of these cases that you know are in textbooks that are you you think are long long ago that they're you're we're showing everyone that uh, hey we're going to reinvestigate these things i think it is liz and in fact uh, actually some there are some professors around the country who actually have created a whole book series called uh, stories you know tort stories tax stories criminal law stories to, to talk not just about the case the students read but about the people behind them because you know they're going to be dealing with real clients who have real stories it's not just a, a flat decision or a flat statute so it's very interesting well this is a all over the state show and now we're going to go to Gulfport uh, shelter we appreciate you holding on thank you for calling in legal terms go ahead thank you for having me I have a question about a uh, murder and Brookhaven, Mississippi, a gentleman by the name of Lamar Smith, who was uh, had been in the military, got out of the military, and 
uh, and in the 50s, he was registering uh, black people to vote. Uh, they require ask him to take his name off the rolls, and he did. And uh, I think he was shot by the sheriff. They never con- convicted anybody of that. Uh, uh, how do you, you know anything about that case, and how do we open it back up again? His name is Lamar Smith. He's from Lincoln County, Brookhaven, Mississippi. Yes, sir. I think the case you're referring to, I think he was actually killed on the courthouse steps of Brookhaven. Uh, I forget what year it was, but it was, I believe it was around 54. might have been right before or right after the Emmett Till case. Uh, but um, it's my underst- I, I don't know whether that's been reopened. It's my understanding um, he was not, from, from what I understand, not shot by the sheriff, but the sheriff came up there very quickly afterwards. There were several uh, witnesses who saw it happen. Uh, and and none of the witnesses would talk to to law enforcement. Now, whether it was a real investigation at the time or, or a fake investigation, I don't know. Um, but um, he's one of the the, the cases that uh, occurred about the same time as the Emmett Till case. Uh, I think it's a fairly well known case. I mean, he was registering people to vote. He was shot, gunned down, broad laid light on the courthouse steps, and uh, and nothing came out of it. Whether that's a case that's being re- uh, reinvestigated under this act, I do not know. Um, presumably would fall within the parameters of the, the Civil Rights, Emmett Till Civil Rights Reauthorization Act. Well, Professor Sinha, how easy would it be for a layperson maybe to get any of these uh, Department of Justice reports to Congress each year? Well, I think um, presumably they, they should all be. I, I don't know if they're all online, but I know some are online. So I think that's fairly easy to get. Uh, I think uh, if, if a citizen wants it, they can begin by going online. Uh, I think also contacting their, their um, congressional representative and or senator. I think they should be very easily, uh, very happy to, to help a citizen once to get those reports. Fantastic. Well, Sue from Beaumont has been holding on for quite a while. We appreciate uh, uh, you listening to in legal terms. Sue, go ahead. Okay. I'd just like to comment. What, what is the purpose in excavating old crimes, the perpetrators are dead. Uh, what purpose does it serve to keep scratching at scabs and making it bleed over and over? Put a tombstone on it and move forward. It makes me suspicious of Mr. Sinha's reason for digging in graveyards, you know, so to speak. And it's going to be costly. It's going to be time-consuming. Put your resources to better use is what I say. Thank you. Right, and I think that's one of the the, the valid points of this. Is it better to let um, dead dogs lie, so to speak, or is it better to examine what happened and bring sun, you know, shine sunshine into our past? Uh, and I think there are valid points on viewpoints on both sides. I think from a victim's point of view, if if um, you know if it's a family and and one of their loved ones was horribly mutilated. Um, and, and many times genitally mutilated, castrated, and burned or whatever else, and, and, and it was an open crime, and most people knew about it. I think a lot of those family victims would say, uh, I, I want justice for my, or at least recognition for my loved one who was killed in such a way. I, I do understand there's people say that's been 50 years ago, let's, let's move on and, and move past. Uh, it seems as a society we have taken a different approach by the last 10 years as reflected by elected representatives in Congress. Well, and, you know, Hans, it seems to me this, that's the same concern people had about um, investigating uh, those who were involved in the Holocaust, including uh, prison guards at Auschwitz and things like that. You know, why can't we move on there? You know, but for families, it, it's very important to get this closure. 
and uh, and so this act is is there to help in some small way for that to happen and uh you know it's it's hard to move on in some respects when uh, every african american who walks into a courtroom does so with a confederate flag as part of our state flag and i'm that's my opinion and my thoughts so just a thought all right we have another caller we still have full calls folks uh we appreciate our our listeners being part of our show uh, next, we're going to go on I-55 is Rick. We appreciate you calling in today, Rick. Uh, what's your question or comment for In Legal Terms? Good morning. I appreciate you taking my call. I'd like to applaud your efforts to to research and resolve these finite crimes and the things we're doing for victims and their families. I believe that's well. Uh, that effort is well spent. My question is somewhat like, Sue's comment, um, but not quite so definitive. I heard a statement yesterday on MPB which caused me great concern, and that was it gives whites an opportunity to atone for their sins. And I I was wondering if there are any actions or uh, balance that the professors might address which prevents this from becoming an anyone who is white is guilty movement. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I don't see it that way. Um, I guess one can perceive a movement or, or, or a societal uh, shift, so to speak, in, in, in those terms. I truly, when I started, looked at more from a law enforcement viewpoint. Um, and we had a large victim rights movement in the 1980s, and I always treated my victims with respect to families. I, I did whatever I could to make them whole as much as I could. Sometimes that came from prosecuting and, and locking up for life or even executing the perpetrator, the person who killed their loved ones. Sometimes it came from just talking to them, explaining to them why I couldn't go forward to prosecution. So I look at this from a law enforcement point of view that these are victims' families, uh, and I want to treat them as I would treat any victims. I recognize the racial uh, connotations and the history that comes with this, um, but I don't view it as a racial issue. I view it as a societal issue and as a law enforcement issue. All right. Well, thank you, Rick, for your uh, question for our show. Uh, Next, we're moving on to West Point. Norman, uh, Norman, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. I, you know, I was listening to Sue and the gentleman that just uh, called, and I, I think that they are good examples of exactly why we are where we are. People don't seem to understand or, or do not come to grips with the fact that when family members of a black family is harmed or murdered, it doesn't matter if it's 50 years old, it hurts black folk just like it hurts white folk when their family members uh, have been mistreated or, 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 or murdered and, and, and never come to a conclusion. So this is not a black and white issue. People need to understand that. It's not a black, it's a right and wrong issue. It is an issue of justice for all. And so, uh, you know, 
I look at what's going on in the day. I'm dealing with a case right now with a young man who has been jailed, been in jail for 16 months because two young uh, white kids under age went in to try to buy cigarettes, and the clerk began to question them about their age, and they made up a lie about a black guy, kidnapped them, and sent them into the store to buy cigarettes for him. He's still in jail based on that lie. And so uh, old cases was at one time a new case that nobody dealt with, nobody cared enough to deal with it, or either swept it under the rug to get rid of it. So the reason why we have the old cases because nobody want to deal with the new cases, and, and and I'm I'm more concerned. I understand their point about spending resources on old cases, but I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We need to work on the old cases and the new one, and the new ones are more dangerous than the old one because they there's a diabolical plan uh, in. In law enforcement, not all of law enforcement, but certain segments of it, to uh, incarcerate people based on the number of beds that they need to fill. And I'm telling you, it's playing out in a very dangerous way. America, Mississippi especially, need to do something about it. Norman, I feel your I feel your passion. Uh, I know uh, a year ago I spent uh, you know two weeks of my life doing jury duty, whereas you know a lot of I know a lot of people try to get out of it. But uh, I think we want our, in my opinion, we want our justice system to be uh, good for for everyone uh, in the past and in today, and we want to have uh, competent jurors. Uh, I'm so excited about our show, our In Legal Terms show. We've talked about the education of judges and how, of course, we want all of our judges uh, to uh, to be fair and know their responsibilities. And we've also talked about uh, recently the importance of getting a defense advice for, for people who have, have been arrested. So I think... Norman just made the 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 point of uh, how important it is to be an informed individual and how important our judicial system is. Isn't that right, uh, Professor Gershon? Well, it is, and uh, and it protects all of our rights. And this is what you know. Really, the show today is about. It's it is not a racial issue. It really is about justice. It has not happened. And it's hard for everyone to to hear about it. Sometimes we really do just want to say, "Okay, past is past. Let's move on." But you know, to to be able to deal with it, uh, to use the legal system appropriately to deal with it, and that's what this act is about, uh, helps us all. All right, and uh, we have full phone lines again, but we need to take our last break. So uh, Willie and Leeksville, hang on. Charlotte and Cleveland, uh, Dudley and Calhoun County, hang on. Uh, we want you to be a part of our show. When we come back from the break, we'll continue this discussion about uh, prosecuting the civil rights statute violations that occurred before 1980 and resulted in a death. I am Liz Gill. We've got Professor Richard Gershon here. We've also got Professor Hans Senha, and we'll take your phone number, phone calls, and your emails on In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. So remember, if you missed any of our program, we really want you to be able to listen to the whole show. It'll be at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms just as soon as I can get it up because <laughs> I'm the producer of the show also. But uh, after it's up online, it'll also be available on the MPB Media app, as is all of our local shows. We had a great Money Talk show just before this. There'll be a great Southern Remedy show later. I am uh, Liz Gill with uh, Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And also our guest is Professor Hans Sinha. We've been talking about the prosecuting of the civil rights statutes, um, violations that occurred many years ago. And uh, the name of this act that has enabled the Department of Justice and the FBI to go back is called the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes Reauthorization Act of 2016. And I guess it sort of all started uh, uh, with the Emmett Till case and how we've mentioned that that's still an ongoing uh, uh, an ongoing investigation. Can you comment some more on that, uh, Professor Sinha? Yes, and, and I think it's, it's fascinating. Uh, one of our callers mentioned uh, the background of cases. Uh, uh, the Emmett Till case, it's so fascinating for, for, for many respects. I mean, it helped start the civil <clears throat> rights movement. But if you look at the actual trial transcript, and in one of my classes, all my students, we read a trial transcript and kind of dissect it from a modern point of view in terms of what evidence came in, didn't come in. Um, but even that case, which was tried three months after the murder, um, they had a very hard time establishing, actually proving the murder. They, they probably did prove the kidnapping and evidence that was admitted for the jury. But uh, it came down to whether or not the body that was found in the Tallahatchie River was the body of Emmett Till, the boy who had been kidnapped. Uh, and his uncle identified the body, um, um, but it was so badly beaten and bloated from the river that it was almost unrecognizable. And, and um, along the lines that uh, truth is, is, is stranger than fiction, the, the thing that tied it down, the piece of evidence that, that enabled the prosecution to tie and link the body that was found to Emmett Till, the boy from Chicago who was kidnapped and killed, was that um, he was actually wearing a ring, a silver ring with the initials LT and the date 1945, and that ring belonged to his father, Lewis Tilt, who, and this is the strangest of history, was actually charged and tried and executed by the U.S. Army in 1945 in Italy for, for rape and murder. And uh, during, while well, he was in a unit, Lewis Tilt had stopped by, the unit stopped by Morocco, and he made that ring. Uh, and after he was executed, Army shipped his belongings back home to his mother, Emmett Till's mom, I mean, to his wife, Emmett Till's mom. And literally the day that Emmett Till was coming to take the train down to Tallahatchie, he tried on his dad's ring and he and told his mom, I'm a man now, the ring fits my finger. And he wore that ring the day he was kidnapped. So uh, history is, is, is just always stranger than, uh, truth is stranger than fiction. You can make up these facts. So, But for uh, Lewis Till, having been executed by the U.S. Army, that ring would not have been shipped home to 
his ex-wife and Emmett Till would not have warned it the day he was uh, kidnapped. So, uh, so in all these cases, uh, you had to prove the case, and there's always fascinating tidbits uh, from these old cases. All right. We're going to go to Willie in Leakesville, uh, Charlotte and uh, Dudley. Uh, we may not get to you, so you may need to send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. But, Willie, go ahead. Welcome to In Legal Terms. Yes, I would just like to say we need to use science and math and not training and indoctrination. We are members of the animal kingdom. And in the animal kingdom, we eat each other. We might not eat the same species, but we eat each other. And what the black men need to do is, is to bump back. When you bump back, you get a result. If a white man kill a black man, then the black man go kill the white man. And the white man will stop because he don't want the white man to kill, not the black man. If the black man don't respond in that respect, it's not going to work. All right. Well, we at MPB hope that everyone has respect for uh, each other, our our fellow citizens. Uh, we're going to go next to uh, Charlotte in Cleveland. Thanks for holding on. Go ahead. What's your question for in legal terms? Um, I would like to comment um, about the caller who questioned about the continuation for seeking justice. It, uh, it truly is not a matter of race. Uh, I perceive her to be Caucasian. I'm Caucasian. And I would just like to say, if it was her family member, no matter how many generations back or what race the murderer was, or uh, she or anyone in their right mind would want someone to continue, just as if you have a, a missing family member, you never stop looking for a missing person. You never want to stop until justice is served and I just feel that if she put herself in yeah. that position, okay. she would also want justice to be served. All right, Charlotte, thank you. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we agree with you that uh, each life, when it, uh, you know, affects you, affects your family, and I know uh, people can have uh, strong uh, passions uh, that's why I feel our, our justice system is so important. We don't want people to take uh, anything into their own hands, uh, no killing anybody. That, uh, uh, that You get in trouble for that. We, we want everyone to abide by our laws of our, of our state and our country uh, to help us all coexist peacefully. That's why we have rules is so that we don't have anarchy and confusion. Uh, Unless I think that's what these acts are, are meant right. to do, is, is to uh, reopen cases that have been festering for a long time where people knew about them and had feelings one way or another about them, and bring out the facts that can be established, and then looking at those facts and evidence, whether we, could, as a society, can go forth and seek justice. And I think we can all agree that that is a right approach to any killing, regardless of the historical and the racial uh, association with those killings. And as a whole, I think that's what these acts stand for that we as a society believe in in looking at it in, in such a professional way. Fantastic. And very quickly, uh, Dudley from Calhoun County, uh, go ahead, please. Yes, I just want to thank you so much for the show. But mainly, I would like to recommend to all the listeners uh, the William Winter Institute. This 
Institute is really trying to bring people together so that they understand each other, black and white and whatever. So if many of the things that have been talked about today, if you would check with the Institute, you would find many, many answers there. Thank you so much. Oh, well, we appreciate you holding on. Uh, I know some uh, individuals who, while they were up at Ole Miss, has, uh, had worked with that institute. It's very worthwhile. All right. Well, Professor Gershon and uh, Professor uh, Hans Senna, we're, we're wrapping it up. Any final words in 30 seconds or less? No, I think it's a very fascinating, um, as history always is, and this is now history tied in with, with uh, how we're living today and, and justice. I can't think of anything more uh, both interesting and, quite frankly, worthwhile. And so that's going to wrap us up for today for In Legal Terms. Our call screener for today's show has been Michelle McAdoo. Our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. In Oxford, we really appreciate uh, Tracy Daniel setting everything up for our little mini studio that uh, Professor Richard Gershon has used. And we thank our guest, uh, Professor Hans Sinha, from disrupting his regular day to come be a part of our show to bring this congressional legislation that was fully funded and mandated to light for the rest of us. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.